Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. Sort of uh, allude to in your overview is that you know now more than ever before customers are aware, vocal, and that sort of every every customer has a voice. How do you think the environment that we're in at the moment has shaped the need for um, organisations looking at their current strategy and approach to business? I think I think organisations have got to take a long, hard look at themselves as to how they are going to create sustainable differentiation in the market. So... If we think about the global reality of most businesses today, and I'll admit that I'm generalizing here, mm-hmm. but they suffer from what I like to refer to as better sameness. Mm-hmm. In other words, they are um, investing a huge amount of effort and very often a significant amount of expense doing more of what they've always done, mm-hmm. do, doing more of exactly what the competitors do. And I mean, it's a symptom, sadly, of industry structure um, and company structure, uh, you know, whereby the uh, touchstones, if you will, of of the way an industry works and the way uh, and what it is that the industry measures, you know, has kind of been cast in stone. And we've never got out of this of 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 the way of doing work. I mean, that's the way we do things around here. I mean, mm. my word, can we get anything more boring than that? And you <laughs> and I as as clients or customers, you know, sit on the other end of the fence, um, having to deal with this uh incrementalism, with this averageness. Mm. Um, you know, and so so quite frankly, I mean if you think about it, how can organizations build sustainable competitive advantage around product? or around price, or possibly even around distribution footprint, or possibly even around communications. I mean, you can't build that sustainably. You might have it for a point in time. I mean, Apple has it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, App, App, Apple and Coke, think about it. I mean, product-centric organizations, not client-centric organizations, all right? And, and you know, I don't, I don't detract from the fact that Apple um, does have client-centric DNA within it. Um, but fundamentally, it's a product-centric business. Mm. The experience, the, the differentiated experience that we have in, 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 in the Apple world is through engaging with the product. Yes, they've designed genius bars in their stores, and iTunes is very customer-centric in its own right. Um, but the core of the business is product-centric. Mm. Um, so unless you're an Apple, unless you're a Coke, the question's got to be, well, how do we stand out? How do we create something memorable? Um, and if you go back to the words of, of Jack Welch in his days at General Electric, he said, the only, he said as follows, there are only two sources of competitive advantage. Number one, the ability to learn more about your customers faster than the competition. And number two, the ability to transfer that learning into action faster than the competition. And, you know, that's fundamentally where we build competitive advantage. Mm. And I think, look, just even as you were talking about Apple, I 
did a blog, I don't know, maybe a year ago of my experience being in the store. And absolutely, it was so product-centric that, you know, they sent me out the door, but did they send me with everything that I needed? Did they think about what I needed when I got home? No, I had to go back into the store twice. So the experience really coloured my flavour of them, even though I loved the product, you know. So I totally... That resonates with me. But what I thought was really interesting, and you've got this in the book as well, about, yes, the me-too-ness and the fact that we are sort of using perhaps antiquated business models, but also that, you know, especially corporate are focused on this short-term profit and KPIs and how that sort of almost, you know, creates this catch-22 of how do they get out of that and think, think differently about investing in, you know, customer centricity and, and that sort of ecosystem. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as customer-centric organisation? Um, absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I, I like to use the term enlightened leaders as well because very often I'm asked, well, you know, who is your client? Mm. Um, you know, who do you work with? And, you know, let's forget about brands at any particular point in time, but the success is going to come through what I like to refer to as enlightenment. So what is an enlightened leader? I mean, and there are a couple of characteristics that we can think about. And, and for me, an enlightened leader is somebody who recognizes that the only way to really build a, competitive, a sustained competitive advantage is to find new ways to create, to deliver, and to capture value. And I mean, that's fundamentally what a business model is. A business model is nothing other than the story of how you create, deliver, and capture value. The other, the other characteristic of an enlightened leader is somebody who recognizes that this whole customer-centric thing, um, you know, has got traction, but it's a journey, and um, they, they, they're committed to it from the long term. And understanding of the fact that a business is a system you know, so, so, so let's forget about these little ad hoc initiatives that we may be um, uh, adopting, mm. be they NPS loyalty scoring or be it a customer satisfaction survey or be it some new campaign, whatever it might be, that just far too often exist in isolation of the overarching system. Mm. So, you know, that's another critical component. And I, I just want to add um, – Another two, uh, two characteristics of enlightened leaders. I mean, I think the other one is an enlightened leader certainly is somebody who recognizes that um, the delivery of a superior customer experience, you know, which, which very much is a link or a blend between the physical product, service, and communication, and very importantly, the emotions evoked. But the delivery of that superior customer experience is a result of the culture of an organization and not a rule book. Mm. Um, you know, and, and the last point that I like to make is, 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 is quite frankly, uh, the rules of the world have changed. And, 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 and not enough people have actually grasped this, this fact. Um, and the consequence of not having recognized that we're living in a different world is that we spend our time responding rationally to a world which we understand and recognize but doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So, you know, those characteristics, I think, from an enlightened leader um, or, or, or they describe the enlightened leader to which I'm talking. And that takes me into the next way of answering your question, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you look at, if, if you look at organizations like Amazon, um, Jeff Bezos, um, you know, there's an organization and, 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 and Bezos will say, he says that 
you know, what have I learned over my 20-odd years within Amazon? Well, I mean, it's built fundamentally around three pillars. Firstly, you know, they obsess over customers. We recognize and we take note of what the competitors are doing, but our obsession is the customer. And I mean, his, you think about his business model. You know, what a magnificent way um, of addressing book lovers' needs via the web, giving people an opportunity in one sitting to sit down and review millions of books if they so choose. But then what's he built around that? You know, we were able to jump inside the book, you know, look inside to get a perspective of what it is. When we order that book, it's simple, one-click ordering. Um, we, can, we can inform ourselves, you know, through wish lists and through community input. And he's got all of these fancy algorithms that sit beneath that, as we all know, in terms of recommending books. So, so there's an obsession over customer is the one pillar he talks about. The other pillar he talks about is something called invent. Um, and, and he says, he says, it's not the customer's responsibility to invent what it is that they need. And we think about the Apple scenario. I mean, obviously, nobody knew that they would fall in love with an iPad and an iPod. Mm-hmm. But, but it's more important that if, if, if that mindset exists in an organization, then it's incumbent on the organization to step out into the future to determine what it is that they believe they need to bring to market to fulfill a customer want, need, desire, whatever else it may be. But that process means that they've then got to come back to the present. And in order to get to the future, the philosophy of the business is one that says, guess what? We've got to learn new things. We've got to innovate around our business model, as an example. Um, Because if we take as our point of departure our current organizational capabilities and maturities, how are we ever going to expect the ability to, you know, to create something unique and different mm-hmm. in terms of value to customer and in value to us. And the third, the third pillar that he talks about really is um, planning for the longer term. And, and Amazon is known to put at risk guaranteed profits today you know, for 10 times that level of profit in three, four, five, six years' time. Um, so it's an investment into the future. And, and you know, I use that as an example of an organization. I use Bezos as an example of a leader who gets it. You know, go back to the enlightened leadership characteristics that I gave you. Mm. It's those sorts of people we need, um, you know, who, who are focused on, on, on changing the world. And, you know, the ethos that sits behind REAP Consulting is one that says if we can encourage organizations, if we can help give them the tools to design and deliver unique and distinctive experiences, that's going to impact billions of people in the world like you and me. And guess what? Our days are going to be that much better and that much more effective because we're dealing with organizations that care. Mm. Which sort of is interesting because I'm wondering now whether it is an educational thing to, to, um, to for leaders or for business owners to sort of step up and, and see, you know, do an audit where they really are and, and, and whether they are actually trying to capture value and, and have, you know, an outside-in approach to their business or whether it's a choice that they've just decided, well, I'm happy with me too and really I'm just going to throw the doona over my head and I'll be right. You know what I mean? Like I'm wondering whether it is a lack of tools, a lack of education. And even if we give all that, will will we actually develop more 
organisations that will actually be motivated and actually take a proactive journey around, you know, their business model. Well, I mean, I think there are two, there are two comments that I can make there. And the first one uh, relates back to the early part of last year when I was interviewed by a journalist. And she said to me, she said, I understand that you've been in business focused almost exclusively on this thing called customer centricity for 10, 11 years now. She said, well, what's changed over that period of time? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought about it. And, you know, if I, if I step back 10 or 11 years, um, principles like customer centricity, customer management, customer experience management, customer experience, whatever it is that you want to call it, we're, we're being spoken about not a lot. Um, you know, Colin Shaw from Beyond Philosophy talks about customer experience being the next tsunami of business kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it was being spoken about, but because it was uh, kind of relatively new, mm-hmm. um, people were acknowledging the fact that they didn't really understand what it was. Yeah. So let's fast forward 10 or 11 years' time. So what's the world look like today? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a whole lot more people talking about it now. And there's some great examples of organizations that do get it. Um, I mean, we've just spoken about Amazon. We, we, we've had some discussion around Apple. You think about organizations like USAA. I mean, and there are certainly organizations that get it. Mm-hmm. But the mere fact that people are talking about it more um, implies in many instances that because they're talking about it, they think they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. The reality is, in most cases, People still don't know what they're talking about because they don't get the, the systemic underlying definition of what customer centricity is. And, 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 and customer centricity is the business model. It's the ecosystem that allows an organization to design and deliver a unique, distinctive, and consistent experience for business benefit. So, you know, that requires a different view, mm. a different perspective. And, you know, to get back to your point about organizations auditing and assessing, it is a journey. There's a, there, there is no endpoint in terms of customer centricity nirvana, but there is a start point. And, and as with the analogy that many of us will use when we go away on vacation or holiday, you know, we're leaving from somewhere and we are going to get somewhere else. So better we understand um, where it is that we're leaving from. So, so in any organization looking to embark on the journey, you know, the very strong recommendation is we need to understand where we are capable organizationally, what level of maturity, customer-centric capability maturity do we have? Mm. Because there's going to be some areas that organizations are intuitively good at, and there's going to be some that they're poor at, and, and they're going to know where they're good, and they're going to know where they're poor. But because very often there's not this outside-in kind of systemic lens, mm. they're not going to know everything, you know, and, and, and they don't know what they don't know kind of stuff. And we've got to, we've got to get those capability areas defined. Um, and that allows an organization to move forward, you know, towards uh, a, a to be desired state, if they can define customer centricity. And the other thing that's so important here is that um, customer centricity is not a one size fits all. Organizations themselves have got to define the nature of customer centricity specific to themselves. What does it mean to them and what business benefits, what outcomes do they expect to get from, from customer centricity? So, you know, let's define that nature so we can understand the transformational journey and operationalize that 
transformational journey. Mm, and I love the questions that you have at each end of the chapter, sort of, um, of the book, sort of spurring on these sort of thought processes about, you know, where am I and what questions should I be asking? I think, I think they're really helpful. I just wanted to circle back to culture for a minute, minute because when you were sort of talking about Amazon, there was one quote I wrote down and it was, people can cover up poor data but not poorly motivated people. And I thought that was fantastic because we all have felt that person who just doesn't want to service and isn't there in spirit. And that sort of yep. brings me back to that culture which can make or break that value proposition. It's so inherent in in that experience. And I, I just wanted to, I guess, um, dig a little deeper into how how do the leaders or the organisation ensure that whatever that clarity is around that customer-centric vision, how do they ensure that employees are best served in being able to deliver on that day after day? And, and what should they have in place to make sure that they're, you know, keeping that behaviour obsessive over customers as opposed to, you know, inconsistent? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think probably probably the biggest challenge of, uh, of any organisation looking to embark on that journey. So, um, you know, you're referring to the book, so you'll be referring to the, the REAP customer-centric organisational blueprint and, and, and in the centre of that, you know, there's a customer-centric framework and you'll note that people and culture is one of the four um, foundational organizational capabilities alongside direction and leadership systems and technologies and data management. So um, there, are a whole lot of, there are a whole lot of capabilities, obviously, that, that, that underpin the people and culture component. Um, stories are always, always good ways to explain this. And uh, I, I find it quite fascinating if you take a look at Zappos.com and mm -hmm. Tony Shea, um, you know, Tony and I, you know, I forget the name of the organization, but I mean, he'd started and sold an organization before he got involved in Zappos.com. And he says that one of the reasons that he sold the previous organization was that they had not spent enough time and energy on refining the organizational culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so very often that cultural change uh, is the is the hurdle, and it comes back to enlightened leadership. I mean, it was one of the examples that I that I used earlier. You know, deliver a superior customer experience through culture, not through a rule book. Mm. So, so you know what what we find. I mean, and I think this is true in so many organisations. If you go back to Zappos.com, for example, I mean, there's an organisation that is driven around its values. Ten really really meaningful funky values that um, are embedded in the very ethos of the organization. People are hired around those. Um, the organization acts true, authentically around those values. Um, even when you're hired, you know, you're given an opportunity to be paid to leave a short while later just to make sure that we've, we've got the right people mm. uh, you know, on, on board. And I think so often in organizations, values may be posted on the wall but quite frankly, they're not lived. Mm. A vision statement may be articulated on the wall and in the financial statements, but quite frankly, it's got a meaningless. Um, you know, what, what is a, a vision statement that talks about being number one in so-called industry, in so-called territory? I mean, what's number one? <laughs> you know, for, for, for heaven's sake, and you think about Zappos.com, it's all about delivering happiness. 
Think about a Royal Bank of Canada that has a, a vision statement, you know, earning the right to be our customer's first choice. I mean, these are these are, 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 are moving statements that people can get behind. The challenge for the organization in building that culture, of course, is to have that line of sight between the vision and between the values and have those cascaded down, you know, across the functional areas and across the uh, competency and capability and, and performance assessment areas of the organization so that we live these things every day. We've got to behave on brand. We've got to behave on culture. And we've got to have leaders who lead by example, you know, not by putting lipstick on a pig and talking about it. Um, you know, it, 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 it's got to be brought alive. And, and it's, it's about what people do very often, not what people say. So that, you know, that, that challenge is, um, is one of the challenges. And organizations that can get that right, uh, you know, clearly are – are well further down the road to to operationalizing their their aspirations. Mm. Well, I just wanted to touch on the REAP sort of um, uh, diagram, if we could, and, and I'll I'll put this in with the podcast notes. Can you just go through that, just in terms of a model, and how that fits together? Um, of course, I mean the the REAP the organisational blueprint really is. I mean, it's targeted, it's a methodology, it's a framework that um, enables the design and operationalization of a customer-centric business model. So, um, you know, at the center of, of the reorganizational blueprint is something called Schema, which is a customer management framework um, developed by colleagues of mine in the UK, a company called The Customer Framework. And... There are 350 capabilities that underpin that specific methodology. Mm-hmm. And what that allows an organization to do is to quantify its current organizational capability in terms of customer-centric behavior. Um, and I, I can't go – and won't go into detail now. We don't, we don't have long enough. But, I mean, mm-hmm. each practice area um, is assessed uh, it's, and it's evidence-based mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's scored. So, so what happens out of that central component is that we get an overall score. So, so your business in the world of customer centricity uh, scores 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take a look at that model, which is made up of three components, there's a foundational component, an enabling component, and an execution component. Those foundational components, uh, you know, you've got to have capability in that in those areas, direction and leadership, people and culture, data management and systems and technology, if, you, if you're going to enable the organization to become customer-centric. So we, we actually quantify um, a, a, a score of, of, of how capable an organization is around those areas. Equally so, the enabling dimensions, you know, where we talk about brand and proposition and experience design and management and agility and workflow and measurement and, uh, you know, there are one or two others there as well. So it's also important to understand how capable an organization is in doing that stuff. Um, but this needs to be brought together because, because it's a system. And then, of course, the outer layer there is, is REAP. Um, think about it. Organizations optimize and maximize their business performance by retaining the clients that they want to retain, the R in REAP, mm-hmm. the efficiency dimension is not about Six Sigma and Lean. It's about understanding cost to serve. 
because there are certain groups of customers and certain customers that I'm well warranted to spend a whole lot more money on because my ultimate return on investment is going to be that much greater. Mm-hmm. So, and as individuals, we're different. You know, we don't expect to be viewed as, as, as a single entity or single mass. So, so organizations need to understand that. Then, of course, the other, the other element is acquisition, um, which is about ideally acquiring the right mix of customers if, if possible, and, and there's a science around that, of course. And then, um, and then penetration, which, which is about cross-sell, customer development, and upsell. So if you think about business performance, we've got to be challenging ourselves when it comes to dashboards and KPIs and measurements that says, well, how much of our revenue and our profitability being generated this year is from customers we already have? Mm. How Retention side. Um, how much of our profitability is being generated through better deployment of our budgets, our cost to serve, the efficiency dimension? How much revenue and profitability is being generated through newly acquired customers, kind of relative to the rest of our, our revenue and profitability? And how much revenue and profitability is being generated through the sale of additional product services to our existing customers? And, you know, if we, can, if we can quantify that, we're empowered in such a unique way to design initiatives um, and, 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 and tactics and campaigns, you know, to kind of optimize that mix of customer value management drivers, which is what REAP is, the four drivers of customer value management. Yeah. The, outer layer, the outer layer of that model, you know, that talks about current reality and strategic outcomes um, and strategic themes is really the, 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 the strategic canvas of an organization. And we've got to bring these things together because so, what, what happens so often when organizations embark on a customer-centric initiative, they view it as a program or a project that kind of sits on the side of business as usual. Well, it can't happen. Mm-hmm. You've, got to, you've got to embed it into the way of, the way of, of us doing business. And, and, and those are the components of the strategic canvas that we need to embed um, the uh, the customer centric framework into. Yeah, and I, I can hear that you're so passionate about it, which is fantastic because it because it is a purposeful um, a purposeful system and a purposeful approach that look it just makes sense. I mean, even if you take you know I've seen lots of articles with the ROI in terms of you know why this is a profitable way you know to focus on customers and have a system. But even if you take that out of the picture. And you just, you know, somebody that actually is empathetic and somebody that actually, you know, wants to do the right thing, it just makes sense. And so um, it's a really logical approach, I think, to, to doing it, you know, in a human way, doing business that actually connects to, to you know, the people we're trying to serve with real value. Well, absolutely, and you raise such an important point because, yes, it is intuitive and we know that it's the right thing to do, but... Think, we think about the challenges of company boards and industry sectors and bonus drivers and all sorts of other good things mm. with senior executive. They, they will not maintain their commitment and their focus on customer-centric change unless they are delivering fair and sustainable returns at the same time. So it's, it's absolutely critical that this is linked to business performance improvement. 
And I mean, there's a chapter in the, in the book that talks about some of the research that has proven the correlation between customer-centric capability and business performance. Mm. We, provide, we provide the tools where you start looking at um, the customer as the asset and ways to optimize and maximize the value of the customer. And think about it, for many, many organizations, that is the only source of revenue today and tomorrow. Mm. And, and, and of course. Um, you know, and, and organizations so often uh, don't overtly recognize that in their way of operation. Uh, you spoke about outside in versus inside out. You know, I mean, through what lens do we look at this asset? And if you think about the changing characteristics of the world, the, the, the increasing level of intolerance in dealing with, uh, with individuals who are indifferent um, you know, and who don't empathize, who don't care, uh, you know, the power is turning. The power is changing. We're, we're informed. We're, you know, 22, only 22% of the buying decision today can be influenced through organizational marketing. 78% of that influence is through people listening to friends and colleagues, social media platforms, um, around what memories have been created, what perceptions, what experiences have been enjoyed by and engaged in dealing with a particular organization. And people aren't scared to share that level of insight. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is if we come back to the principles of operationalizing a customer-centric business, um, we've got to earn the right to enable those people out there to tell their stories on these platforms um, through, through word of mouth. So, you know, it comes back, we spoke about enlightened leadership and, 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 and the changing world. It comes back to this. Mm. And I mean, quite frankly, may it, may it accelerate in its levels of adoption because there are so many organizations out there, quite frankly, that I wish would just be shut down because, you know, th with people withdrawing their support because, quite frankly, they just don't deserve our custom. Well, Simple as that. Well, maybe it will start to accelerate, Doug. Because you're right, we have a voice and people vote, you know, online now. So you can see that that, that swell, you know, the referral sites, people Googling everything. I mean, I did it just on the trip when I was in the US and I'm certainly swayed by somebody that has no skin in the game other than putting down what they felt um, their experience was at a hotel or a cafe that gives me that insight to make a decision. You're absolutely right. And even before I'd even got there, I'd made my call um, based on their feedback. So I think it will start to happen. Um, it's, it's just a fantastic book and I think everyone should read it. <laughs> if people right. want to um, get in contact with you or learn more about your organisation, where should they Google you or search for you? Uh, well, I mean, they can they can Google Doug Leather or Reap Consulting. Um, our our website address is www.reapconsulting.com. Um, uh, email address is doug.leather at reapconsulting.com. Uh, mobile number is plus two seven eight three three two seven one zero one zero. Really happy happy to talk to to anybody. And the book is widely 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 available globally. Um, you know, in uh, in hard copy format and in uh, electronic format. It is true because I downloaded a Kindle from Amazon. <laughs> because 
because yep. it's easy. And in fact, they may have even recommended it to me, given my interest in the subject. But I um I really appreciate your time today, and um I'll put all those contact details um, on the podcast. So thanks again for your time, Doug. Fantastic, Dan. Super talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Great. Hey. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.